नमस्ते जय हिंद वेलकम टू अनदर एडिशन ऑफ एन आई पॉडकास्ट विद स्मिता प्रकाश इंडिया फॉर्मली अज्यूम द प्रेजिडेंसी ऑफ द जी ट्वेंटी और द ग्रुप ऑफ ट्वेंटी डिवेलप्ड एंड डिवेलपिंग नेशन इन नवंबर टू थाउजेंड एंड ट्वेंटी टू इट विल लास्ट फॉर अ पीरियड ऑफ वन ईयर एंड दिस वन ईयर इज पैक्ड विद इवेंट्स एंड सेवरल हेड्स ऑफ स्टेट्स एंड गवर्नमेंट्स विजिटिंग इंडिया इज दिस जस्ट अ टॉकिंग फोरम कैन द पावरफुल ग्रुप फाइंड सोल्यूशंस टू ग्लोबल So today our guest is Harsh Vardhan Shringla the chief coordinator for India's G20 presidency in 2023 he's previously served as foreign secretary of India ambassador to USA high commissioner to Bangladesh and ambassador to Thailand Mr Shringla thank you so much for coming on the ANI podcast uh, we are very keen to know about G20 or the man in the hot seat and i have with me my brahmastra mm-hmm. <laughs> navin kapoor who who covers the mea ministry of external affairs uh, so he has a couple of questions too uh, for our viewers and our uh, listeners you know those who don't understand the term beat journalism many times i've been asked what is this that you talk about what is beat journalism so beat is basically what editors assigned reporters to certain sections for example somebody is assigned uh, to do a bjp or somebody is assigned congress so you become a bjp beat reporter or a congress beat reporter sometimes you are assigned national security so national security at times is overlapping so you can do national security and you can do the foreign ministry you can do uh, if you're doing uh, air force army navy you can even do the paramilitary forces now who are the people who are assigned to this so sometimes what used to happen is that if you had a background in say international relations or you came from a family of forgies uh, editors generally position those reporters uh, on the uh, defense ministry beat why because those reporters knew at least they wouldn't call a major general as a major something very basic so uh, when it comes to foreign policy beat when you know when i got into journalism there wasn't even a subject called international relations in our bachelor's degree so we started off like that and navin also has done a little bit of ministry of external affairs uh, so we both have done a little bit of beat journalism uh, Dean continues to do uh, the Ministry of External Affairs, so his questions will be more sharper as compared to uh, my questions. So that was just a brief explainer, sir. Uh, so our questions uh, will be basically on uh, G20. If you could just explain to us what is this grouping? Why is there so much of excitement about India taking over the presidency uh, of the G20? Well, uh, Smita ji, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. and it's great to see our friend uh, navin also uh, join you on this program thank you um well the g20 um as your main question is what is the g20 all about it is uh, today uh, perhaps the most important and most influential international grouping that exists and why is it important uh, is because of its uh, membership it uh, includes uh, countries that are um some of the largest economies of the world all the g7 countries are members all brics countries are members uh you have uh, all the five permanent members the un security council uh as part of the g20 membership you also have all the international organizations that actually um you know provide the international governance of today's uh, international order the un the imf world bank oecd uh, financial stability board all of these organizations uh, and some regional organizations like the african union ASEAN are part of uh, the normal G20 meetings. Now the G20 also consists of 85% of the world's GDP, 75% of international trade, 
and two thirds of the world's population. So the, when the G20 takes decisions, those are representative decisions that are cut across the board. When we say the UN Security Council is not representative, representative of today's realities, uh, we must look to the G20 to see what sort of representation today actually can matter. Mm. Uh, countries uh, that today um, bring weightage to the international um, you know, high table, countries that can contribute and bring value to, to international uh, affairs, uh, are those countries whose voices need to be heard. And I think G the G20 membership provides for that. So uh, today, if the G20 takes decisions, those, those decisions are implemented across the board. Um, the G20, of course, is a somewhat uh, disparate grouping, ideologically and in, terms, in geographical terms. Uh, its coverage is wide, but it also means that it's not a cohesive grouping. But when it takes decisions, those decisions are very, very... Uh, I would say, um, easily implemented. Uh, those become uh, the global norm. And I think we've seen some recent decisions, for example, during COVID, we had the debt service suspension initiatives that allowed developing countries, because of COVID, who could not repay their debts to reschedule uh, without any interest. There was also the decision of the G20 to tax multinationals. So these are decisions that have an impact across the board and uh, decisions that only countries that uh, provide a wide representation in the international body can make. So just to put it in context, the mm -hmm. G20. So uh, uh, India assuming presidency of this, it's it's a matter of prestige, which we've been all been hearing about it. So uh, what does it entail? Because what we've heard is that uh, there'll be meetings, 200 meetings uh, across the country in 50 cities. And it began on December 1st and it will conclude on November 30th, 2023. So my question would be that, one, of course, it's a busy <laughs> schedule ahead for you. But uh, besides that, uh, how were these cities chosen and what are these meetings about? So, you know, uh, every presidency of the G20 is for, the, for, a, for a period of one year. So ours is from 1st December 2022 till, as you mentioned, 30th November 2023. Now, um, every presidency conducts a certain number of meetings um, and Normally, there are around 200 meetings that we need to conduct. And these are across 45 sectors. The G20 is very sectoral. So we have meetings in the areas of public health, uh, digital transformations, energy transitions, uh, trade and investment. So different sectors have different meetings. And not one, but two or three meetings until it reaches the ministerial level and then the summit level. Um, all meetings ultimately end up in the summit, which is the uh, you know final part of any presidency. And... It is at the summit that you have a declaration of the outcome, which represents the work of your entire year of your presidency. Uh, there are also engagement groups, which are non-governmental groups, which are very important. You have uh, Women's 20, Youth 20, Urban 20, um, Think 20, Civil 20, these and Business 20, for example. These are important groups because they bring together um, you know, different organizations that work on these areas, and their inputs also come in and uh, are uh, considered right at the summit level. Mm -hmm. So every aspect of the G20 is important. But as you can see, it is very comprehensive. It uh, cuts across sectors. And there's a fairly large uh, amount of organizational responsibility that every presidency undertakes. Now, in our case, uh, the prime minister uh, decided that we would have uh, our 200 meetings across the country. Mm -hmm. He said it is not necessary to confine it to Delhi. He said, Pratyek Raj ki apni vibhinta, apni virasat, sundarta, sanskriti, 
आभा आतिथ्य है और उनको हमें शोकेस करना चाहिए सो फ्रॉम दैट पॉइंट ऑफ व्यू आई थिंक वी आर लुकिंग एट हाउ वी कैन ऑर्गेनाइज जी ट्वेंटी मीटिंग्स अक्रॉस आर कंट्री एंड आई थिंक दी आइडिया बिहाइंड दिस इज टू मेक श्योर दैट एवरी स्टेट एवरी इंडिविजुअल एवरी सिटीजन ऑफ इंडिया इज अ स्टेक होल्डर did indonesia and did the other countries before that do something similar or is this something new that's being done so it's i think every country has tried to spread it out china had it in 14 locations indonesia had it in 25 locations but 56 locations yeah. is a new record i think it is very difficult to match you have to have a country of the size and and diversity of india also the capacity to be able to hold meetings in so many different parts of our country so i think every part of our country would be covered and i think this is a matter of great pride and satisfaction but more than that every citizen becomes a stakeholder in the g20 presidency yes i've heard of this jan bhagidari so could you explain this thing to us so uh, g20 uh, presidency is not just at the central government the prime minister has said a number of times it belongs to every citizen of india and the effort is to broad base the g20 message what is our g20 presidency all about bring it to the grassroots level so that will be done in jan bhagidari jan andolan mode as prime minister says and i think we will it's a mission mode it is a mission mode we okay. will we will use um we will work with uh, with different organizations but we will also use uh, festivals for example we have used okay. uh, already used the uh, festival in manipur there's a sangai festival there is also a festival in uh, nagaland called the hornbill festival right. there's a festival in gujarat uh, which is uh, during makar sankranti which is basically the kite festival Um, so you'll move the uh, the delegations to those places or they will arrive there there so uh, essentially it is it is branding of the g20 you know uh, getting the message of g20 across in these festivals especially to younger people for example in the festival in manipur um, uh, there was a special g20 pavilion and there was a G- g20 selfie booth and our minister dr jayshankar himself went there with our minister of state sri rr singh and a uh, lot of younger people came and they took selfies with the minister and essentially the minister spoke to them about what the g20 means so use the opportunity to speak to people recently on the 1st of december we organized uh, an event with 75 universities all across india a virtual event uh, in which 75 universities connected with the g20 secretariat in delhi we had the vice chancellors of number of universities participating but we also had 2 300 students from delhi come to that event uh it was addressed by external affairs minister it was addressed by principal secretary to the pm um chairman ugc essentially um you know conveying to them what the g20 is all about what our presidency is all about hmm. and telling them to be ambassadors g20 ambassadors That's for right. their universities yeah, so the message gets spread when we used to cover events uh, whether it was a nam summit jogam summit any of these summits which used to happen it was basically delhi centric and the only interaction or interface was journalists and uh delegates that's about it there was no public participation as such so foreign policy foreign related matters these have not had a you know a public participation as such this seems to be a new trend right so the prime minister said we want to take diplomacy to the people mm-hmm. and essentially what you have is that you know as you mentioned international conferences were something remote that happened yeah. at certain rarefied quarters <laughs> and uh, mainly in delhi but for the first time you have an opportunity to take g20 meetings down to you know district levels down to um cities that have not been exposed uh, internationally exposed so far what does it do for us i mean it it creates first of all capacity hmm. there are so many places where we are building uh, conference centers german hangars okay. 
you know, widening roads, making public access better, improving cities, sprucing them up. So one is that it gives us the opportunity to improve capacity wherever we are mm-hmm. and in different parts of the country. It's one thing to do it in Mumbai and Bangalore and Hyderabad, but mm-hmm. another thing to do it in, in remoter parts of our country. Nagar and Manipur, as you said. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, even down to Lakshadweep, we just had an, we had an event in Havelock Island in Andaman and Nicobar. Mm-hmm. So uh, the point is that uh, you uh, first and foremost uh, provide international exposure to places that don't normally get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, you uh, improve infrastructure and capacity in these these uh, cities. Thirdly, uh, what you do is that you bring uh, the world to these places. I mean, there's huge coverage in Havelock, and there's so much excitement about Havelock being a, one of the venues of the G20. So, what you try and do is that you know you you expose our tourism potential, you highlight and showcase our uh, rich cultural heritage and diversity. And of course, uh, you also um, display our uh, achievements, uh, de- development achievements and experiences uh, to the international community. So whichever meeting you have, you have a meeting, say, in tourism. You have the top people in tourism from across the world, uh, from the most influential countries across the world who will come down. Uh, so if you have it in a place like Hampi, for example, or a place like Khajurao World Heritage Point. or Srinagar, you take them to places that, uh, that have... Uh, tremendous tourism potential. You actually highlight and showcase the tourism potential that you have. And here are people who actually um, work in this sector, who are decision makers in this particular sector. And it makes a huge difference to take them to places uh, that actually have a tourism potential or worth rather than taking them to, you know, bigger cities where it would be run of the mill, just another conference. Yeah. Now let's get to the naughty points, or the not as in K N O T T Y, the naughty points of uh, of the G20. Because you know, uh, there's the Ukrainian war which has not ended. There is the COVID pandemic related supply chain issues which are there. There's China. There are several uh, knots in this uh, in this whole thing. So uh, how will this group? mitigate the problems that the the geopolitical problems that uh, you know that are staring at our face right now so this is a uh, i would say especially difficult period uh, when you look at it from a global perspective uh, you've had uh, the greatest shock to the international system in the form of the covid-19 pandemic you're barely recovering from the pandemic when you have the ukraine uh, conflict uh, with its attendant uh, impact on uh, food and energy security um, you have uh, high inflation, uh, low growth, and of course, uh, indebtedness of uh, many developing countries. Uh, so it is in this context that you know you the world is looking for solutions and looking to those uh, countries or those groupings that can actually uh, you know lead uh, at a time of of this uh, challenge and crisis. And uh, in many senses, I think um, you know this is India's moment because at the end of the day. Uh, if you look at uh, the global, uh, you know, global growth um, has slowed from 6% in 2021 to 3.221% in 2022 to 2.7% is projected uh, slowdown in 2023. So, you know, growth globally is coming down. Many of the big economies have come down to very, very low levels of, of growth, almost uh, on the points of recession. Uh, India, on the other hand, is the fastest growing uh, large economy of the world today. Um, we have kept uh, inflation under check. Our fundamental economic fundamentals are strong. Uh, coming from the COVID pandemic, we have displayed strong economic resilience, uh, which has been displayed through the Atmanirbhar 
Bharat uh, policy that the government has uh, come in. But at the same time, you know, despite the fact that we have focused on uh, domestic resilience, uh, we have not neglected to work on the international, um, let's say, um, you know, to contribute to the international community. If you look at the COVID crisis, we had uh, vaccine, vaccine Maitri, which, which we shared vaccines with the rest of the world. Uh, we, we also provided uh, medicines to the rest of the world. We are the pharmacy of the world. Um, the Prime Minister at the Saudi Arabian uh, summit uh, for COVID-19 in 2020, for the first time spoke about, uh, uh, you know, human, uh, human-centric globalization. Hmm. Uh, by this, he was saying that this is the first time that the G20 has met on an issue which is neither financial nor economic in nature. And that, uh, you know, countries need to work for the global common good. Um, and from that perspective, I think um, um, we have certain experiences and certain achievements uh, that have uh, worked for our people, whether it's in digital uh, delivery, whether it's in public health, uh, whether it's in climate uh, actions uh, and renewable energy. Um, I think those are the areas that we can share uh, with the rest of the world. You know, when it comes to the environment, uh, I think these are areas that we can provide a successful paradigm which can be replicated across uh, the developing world. And the G20, I think if it wants to work for the benefit of uh, mankind, of humanity, it could well take this opportunity to look at some of these examples. Shingla, uh, we just uh, saw a lot of uh, Sherpas in India attending meetings already. And most of them are speaking that they are looking towards India for a solution. As you just mentioned. Problem solver. Yeah, yeah, the problem solver. Do you think we are actually in a position or it's just, you know, you know, long talk uh, that whether we will be a problem solution. Can we provide a solution to the world problems? So, as I said, we have always, uh, there are two factors that distinguish uh, our foreign policy uh, under Prime Minister Modi from what was there earlier and from that of other countries. I think uh, when you talk about a change, a shift in the way our foreign policy has been conducted and the way India is regarded in the rest of the world, uh, to my mind, there are two factors that are, that are absolutely responsible. One is uh, your domestic strengths. I mean, you know, a country cannot become a regional or a global, uh, let's say, prominent uh, uh, player without its own domestic uh, house being in order, its economy doing well, its people looked after and so on and so forth. I think that's the most important thing. And there, again, as I said, I mean, I think we have done very well for ourselves. Um, we have a very strong post-COVID resilient economy. Uh, we are one of the fastest growing economies in the world. But we also have demonstrable uh, experiences in terms of uh, the tools and methods we have used, the systems we have used to deliver to the most vulnerable sections of our population. So in the, in the midst of the COVID crisis, we have supported some 800 million of our people um, you know, through uh, food drain support, through uh, other forms of social safety net, which I think has been quite remarkable. Uh, even during the COVID crisis, we have brought in economic reforms and policies that have boosted our economic uh, successes, whether it is the uh, PIL, uh, the PLI, the uh, you know production-linked incentives, or whether it is Gati Shakti, uh, massive investments in the infrastructure sector. I think we have worked consistently even during the most difficult periods 
to bring about uh, a change in our own uh, sort of economic uh, uh, system. Ambassador, uh, you know, there's always been talk that there's been a paradigm shift in our foreign policy. You, you, are, you mentioned it just now. Uh, you uh, were ambassador uh, of India in, in the US when Mr. Modi uh, came into office. You did Howdy Modi. Uh, mm. And, you know, there were, there were several things that you, uh, and you were f- uh, foreign secretary during this very crucial period when Indian foreign policy more in some ways uh, one would say you know from that nehruvian uh, era we've moved to a different kind and you were at the cusp you've seen it up close and front how would you say because when you began service uh, you know how would you say that what it was then and what it is now how would you see it well i mean uh, i began service some 40 years ago but even take 10 or 15 years ago um you know india uh, was seen very differently as it is seen today Uh, when i was in the united states i had no problems of access to any level mm. you know senators governors uh, business leaders um, um even the white house you would get access wherever you needed and whenever you needed and that's because people had a genuine interest in india and the success of india and uh, prime minister modi's own um, efforts to boost the relationship with the united states was very well known so whether it was democrats or republicans it was uh, you know bipartisan support for a strong relationship with india and i think uh, you know it was a matter of great pride and satisfaction to me as ambassador of india to the world's uh, you know uh, richest uh, nation and most in some senses the most powerful nation that we were regarded so well across the board uh, we had a very successful indian diaspora in the united states uh the prime minister i think um, one of the aspects that is important is that he not only had good relations with every president uh right from uh, president obama uh, to president trump and now president biden successfully uh, has had maintained very strong relations across the board with the us he's also reached out to the indian community uh, across the world uh, in general but since we're talking about the us the us in particular uh, in a way that no prime minister has ever done I mean howdy modi is a one off event and I think you will it will be rare to see something like that replicated ever again. The 50,000 US nationals of Indian origin uh gathered in a part of the United States with the US president and the Indian prime minister addressing them walking hand in hand to take a round across that stadium an incredible moment of friendship and amity but also a demonstration of the closeness of ties and the strength of the indian uh, diaspora but uh, trump was an unknown factor for the indian foreign policy establishment indian diplomats didn't know anything about him his team that came in was it a challenge initially to to open uh, talks with uh, with an unknown person completely so trump didn't belong to the what you call the washington beltway politics he mm. was an outsider uh, he didn't believe in doing um, things the way it was normally done and so his decision making methods were different from normal presidency so we had to find out what made him tick what are the factors that uh, what are the inputs that went into his uh, his decision making how could you factor that in and i think that took a bit of time and effort but ultimately uh, i think we we did find that uh, there was a way to reach out uh, of course there is no better way to reach out than at the top levels uh, but you need to reach out also at different levels of the administration and i think that is something that we uh managed to um find a way to do um it took some effort and that is a different story by itself but uh, but i think uh, ultimately tell us tell us about that story <laughs> what were the challenges at that time well i mean look uh, 
uh, he didn't believe in working through the through through his uh, his uh, let's say uh, white house uh, team he didn't believe in working through his uh, cabinet his council of ministers um i mean they gave him so there was this informal channels yeah. you had to work through channels which were which he uh, relied on okay it was, and for him it was only family Ah. you know it was the family that actually uh, mattered and uh, it was the family he listened to we had the secretary of uh, commerce the secretary of defense tell him something he may or may not have listened i mean half the time he thought he knew it better than the others um but uh, but of course uh, you know if you were uh, to access a family member and say look this is very important for the relationship please uh, you know uh, mention this to the president before we have this important meeting for example that i think i thought really made the difference i think we saw that also when ivanka trump came out uh, to uh, india i mean the the red carpet that was laid out for her and everybody was like mm, okay it's never happened before that a family member got so much importance but, but uh, ivanka was an integral part of his uh, yes. his uh, his administration's team ivanka and uh, jared kushner her, yeah. her husband were very major uh, players uh, which were inside the um, you know white house team that worked on policy initiatives so as a diplomat you have to you have to be dynamic in how you uh, implement these uh, relationships isn't it i mean how you go about it you have to get the work done right and i think uh, it increasingly you uh, you know people think that diplomacy is the normal you know receptions uh, diplomatic parties uh, you get to meet people but i think increasingly you have to find a way to work which is outside the box did the indian diaspora help at this time diaspora is a great help i think the diaspora um uh, is committed to strengthening the relationship uh, they um don't hesitate to work with you at at, at any level uh, to support uh, the cause which is their cause as well and i think um, you know whether it is um, the diaspora which is uh, in new york or in the in the west coast in silicon valley or in 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 the texas area i'm saying the diaspora across the united states uh, you could get uh, you know reach out to anybody and any grouping and get the sort of support that you need but it's for you uh, to uh, you know tap that support and to make the best of it and i think we really worked closely mm. with the diaspora in achieving our common objectives uh, in the us sir uh, you are talking about the personal uh, equation between prime minister and you know various us presidents so as a diplomat sir as a career diplomat do you think that this personal chemistry this personal equations with the leaders we see this on the visuals when it he's meeting g20 leader do you think prime minister's personal attention towards other leaders matters and it helps and boosts the relationships or is just photo op my personal view is that that is the deciding factor i see um you know um the united states of course is an executive presidency so decisions are taken uh, important decisions are taken at the president's level uh, almost always so that chemistry between your prime minister and the us president is critical in achieving the outcomes that you want to seek in the india us relationship but whether it is with president macro uh, or prime minister boris johnson um, when he was pm or whether it is uh, you know prime ministers across the board um, uh, leadership across the board i think it matters in any country if you if you think of uh, nepal or you think of bangladesh or you think of our neighbors or you think beyond our neighbors think of uae uh you know um with with uh, uh president uh um mohammed bin zaman you know president uh, and the uh, crown prince uh, uh, of saudi arabia i mean the in, you know one to one relationship and the equation that the prime minister enjoys with all of these leaders actually makes that Impact. difference okay and uh, you know uh, 
the foreign policy establishment uh, you know take advantage of that and yeah the trickle down effect i'm exactly. sure comes up. so it, another thing is that you know when we used to cover earlier asean summits eu or uh, you know any of these uh, uh, summits when those uh, family photograph are taken with all the world leaders and if if our prime minister would be you know a shrinking violet or somewhere in the corner it just didn't feel good you know hamara banda kyon nahi aage hota you know there was this always that that we wanted as indians you want your prime minister to be somewhere in the center somewhere near uh, you know near putin or near obama or near whatever not in the corner so these things even for people who are non practitioners of foreign policy and you know the layman even that matters so family pictures are one part of it but if you see that prime minister modi is probably one of the most sought after mm-hmm. leaders in the world for any global decision making that you have whether it's in climate change uh, whether it is in issues that are political in nature or economic in nature he's always called in um he's been called into all of the recent g7 summits uh, as i said we are part of the quad we are part of the brics we are part of the seo uh, we are part of the i2u2 which has just been created hmm. we have regional we engage as a country regionally with the european union uh, with uh, with the central asian states uh, with caricom with the gulf cooperation council with uh, the pacific island states with asean african union so we've got these mechanisms that enable us to engage with uh, organizations or uh, groups of countries across the across the world uh, so uh, in in recent uh, years if you've seen um, you know whether you know on practically every summit whether it's a democracy summit or a green partnership summit every possible initiative that the un has taken or any individual country has taken prime minister modi has been a part of that he's been a very much sought after part of that so let's get Because to the brings, people who brings value we have a problem engaging with let's get to china and pakistan you know uh, you just recently said that no diplomacy with china uh, or no nothing forward with china until the legitimate issues are addressed even as foreign secretary you had a big challenge uh, when you were foreign secretary this whole issue and doklam is still uh, is an issue which remains unsettled galwan and doklam and all this the india china issue still unsettled what does legitimate issues addressed what does that mean just explain to us what does addressing an issue mean well um, i think um, we are all aware that in early 2020 when uh, countries were quite preoccupied we were preoccupied with the covid crisis we saw uh, an attempt to um, you know mobilize troops uh, on the line of actual control the line of control we saw um, attempts at multiple tra- multiple attempts at transgressions across the lac um so our point of course since then we've had a number of uh, discussions at the level of army commanders and at the diplomatic levels uh, external affairs minister dr jayashankar himself has met his counterpart on a, on a number of occasions you also were part of yes of the i meetings. mean of course uh, as foreign secretary um mm. you know this was an issue that we uh, one of the very major issues that we we was it one of the biggest challenges in your career uh, without a doubt i think the uh, there were times that uh, you know the um when the issue was was very much live that um, you know it could have gone uh, anyway so we had to make sure that we were constantly working together on a whole of government approach uh, we were working um, not only unitedly but we were always there the eye was always on the ball we had to make sure that uh, we got out of this situation uh, in in a way that uh, that actually um, 
kept uh, both our security and, uh, and our strategic considerations intact and in place. And at the same time, uh, that uh, we would not uh, in any way, um, you know, yield uh, any uh, in any manner to this attempts at transgressions. How hard was it to, to be, you know, in those talks? Like, what is what is the Chinese delegation like in these talks? No, so these talks took place on the border, uh, on the actual LAC, and it was between army commanders. I'm talking about the physical talks, mm. um, and uh, we always had one of our, um, you know, it it was it was a composite delegation that that actually attended talks, um, and in in I would say in every case, you know, you have to carefully think through how you needed to address those issues. How and, does it uh, go, sir? Like, uh, who leads these talks? Is it the is it the national security? Um, uh, no, so the talks we've had so far has uh-huh. been at the level of army commanders, which is okay. the core commander uh, leading the Ladakh uh, sector. Okay. So uh, it is the army to army talks. Hmm. Uh, but we always had one of our senior diplomats also as part of that. And, and, and I'm sure the Chinese side also had their own people. So essentially, uh, the talks uh, were very limited to addressing the issues that were on the LAC, uh, on the Ladakh and the western sector. And uh, and I think some progress has been made. But my point that I was making and which has been made uh, by the Ministry of External Affairs on a number of occasions has been that, you know, you cannot expect a normal diplomatic relationship when uh, issues that were, uh, uh, let's say, uh, that came up in uh, 2020... Are territorial issues. Territorial issues are, uh, you know, unless they're fully addressed. So how do they want it? Do they want normal uh, diplomatic relations? What does their side want, Chinese side? No, well, uh, you've heard them on a number of occasions mm. asking for normalization of diplomatic relations. Mm. Um, um, and of course, um, the talks have been an effort to, you know, bridge the gaps and, and come to uh, satisfactory conclusions that can enable us uh, to to um, complete this process uh, but we are not yet there. That's so, what I'm saying. Uh, their side always says that, look, uh, maybe diplomatically we are not there where we should be. But uh, trade-wise, we are doing what? Uh, uh, 14.6% uh, trade has increased uh, in the first nine months of the year. They are saying $103.6 billion. So what they are saying is that we're doing phenomenally well. The relationship is good. So, you know, what is it that will de-incentivize any kind of territorial in, uh, aggression from China when we continue to do trade with them? No, trade, see, uh, we have to remember that trade is uh, an essential part of the give and take, the exchanges that you have with any country. Hmm. Um, but China is a very large neighbor so you, and, you know, your industry also requires raw materials that do come from China. Uh, whether it is API for pharmaceuticals or, you know, different types of uh, equipment and raw material that you do need. And you do also export a number of your items uh, to that country. Um, that uh, aspect of it, uh, you know, is, is uh, I would say, um, almost, uh, you know, uh, represents continuity in, in any situations, whether it is uh, Japan's relations with China or the relations that... Uh, even Taiwan has with China, trade and investments has been a part of that uh, thing. Um, in our case, of course, uh, you know, what I mean by normal diplomatic ties is, uh, you know, in terms of exchange of uh, visits, in terms of higher level, uh, I would say, exchanges, etc. Um, but again, that depends on how much progress is made. And, and that is a constant process. So it's so nothing is nothing is... Uh-huh. Staying at one place, so things always move on and things always change. So where there is, uh, you know, this kind of diplomatic entanglement, where there is territorial issues. So what you're saying is that trade is in its place. That happens with all countries. 
that doesn't get weaponized but food and energy is getting weaponized we are lo- looking at that with russia in the ukrainian war so why is that weaponized and not uh, trade then well uh, food and uh, food fuel fertilizers as we say are all parts of trade hmm. but and, it is and uh, you can you can you know countries can weaponize uh, those aspects of trade that they feel uh, hmm. gives them an advantage um and uh, you know uh, our point always has been that uh, weaponization of uh, essential um, you know uh, parts of supply chains is is not conducive to overall international trade and so we've been working with many of our partners to ensure a sustainable uh, resilient uh, supply chain uh, system by which uh, you know we are not affected uh, or mm-hmm. we are less affected when it comes to crises of the type uh, that you see whether it is a health crisis or whether it is a political crisis uh, uh, you have to make sure that your supply chains uh, are not affected you had a question on this on the oil supply and russia and yeah. g20 right sir, so if we come back to g20 circle around and come back sir uh, we have seen some uh, position taken by india on the fuel from russia buying fuel from russia uh, sir at the same time west has criticized us and they have also imposed a price cap now on russia so how do you look at this uh, you know chemistry between india and russia do you think we are going to continue uh, buying oil and don't you think that this is also going to cast you know, a shadow on uh, the g20 yeah, and, also. and also sir this is not going to spoil the equations with other countries especially the us and others i think um, you know uh, we have you know there are two types of sanctions one is uh, sanctions uh, through the united nations system the other is unilateral sanctions imposed by countries uh we have uh, as far as the uh, russia is concerned we have neither violated uh, neither, there are no un sanctions but we have not violated any bilateral sanctions in other words uh, there is no um bar on import of uh, oil from russia um the quantum is the problem no countries may say that you are importing but the, the same countries import lot more than we do yeah so the point there really is that uh, you know what are we violating i mean you know there it is a free world out there you can import what you want to if there are restrictions of any kind that is placed and those restrictions impact on your uh, let's say um, you know ability to continue to trade uh, freely etc obviously you will take that into account but if they don't violate those restrictions so um, then then of course uh, you know why would you um, you know have to uh, and what we are saying is that imports uh, from russia is also important for our own uh, imports of russian oil oil we are an energy dependent country hmm. we import um, 75 to 80% of our energy needs uh, we need to ensure that we provide uh, for our uh, people uh, you know the best possible options and uh, any impact um, which is uh, by way of inflation higher cost of fuel it would impact across the board Uh, would have uh, deleterious impact on the economy and the well-being of our people so we need to safeguard the interests of uh, 1.4 billion people um so certainly uh, when it comes to um you know um uh, imports uh, a there is no violation of any kind and b we are doing it uh, because we believe that this is the best way to uh, safeguard our national interests so there's also this view that uh, russia doesn't want a diplomatic isolation and it's looking at this g20 summits uh, which are being held in india the fact that india is the host and india's a traditionally been a partner a friend uh, of russia that russia's hoping that uh, india can smoothen uh, its 
the problems that it has with the rest of the world is that a correct so view? i i can't comment on that because i have not been privy to any such conversation with russia and of course uh, i must clarify that everything i've been saying whether it's on china or russia is in my own private capacity Certainly. yes but uh, the fact is that uh, as far as the g20 is concerned i think uh, you know it is an international grouping as presidency you want to have uh, the maximum amount of uh, you know traction for your broad priorities uh, our point of view is that our priorities are those that are impact on the rest of the world uh, as i said it's it's issue of growth inflation uh, indebtedness of states uh, you know ensuring that the sustainable development goals continue um that there is uh, mm. some effort to reform multilateral institutions to improve their functioning uh, especially the um you know financial institutions and uh, you know our priority also is women led development so many of these areas are those that we will work on with the rest of the international rest of our partners in the G20 there's also this thing about you know it becoming more inclusive a platform and not just uh, you know top heavy and uh, that it though it's not a security platform uh but there are these issues which need to be dealt with and it's not just a talk shop we should that some solutions should come from uh, these summits so it look at it this way it brings together some of the most uh, the leaders of some of the most powerful countries the countries that today really impact on decision making on the well-being of the rest of the world mm. so the fact that you are convening you know 20 30 40 heads of state and government uh, heads of international organizations the most prominent uh, mm. form i think is an opportunity for you to look at whatever you can do and uh, what i mean what exactly is it that we can do is something that uh, you know will be decided as you go along and this is at the highest levels so that uh, aspect will have to be seen but it it does give you an opportunity to uh to uh, not only uh, place your narrative in the global agenda but to lead that initiative to say that look in times of uh, crisis and difficulty uh, there is uh, there are solutions to challenges that uh, that we can offer and that's what it is sir do you think ki india ka jo ab ek role hai bada role hai jaise pradhan mantri se jab in on the during the peak of this crisis ukraine russia both the leadership spoke to prime minister modi do you think that india will be playing a peacemaker and in this context do you think russian participation its confirmation in g20 is it confirmed because they have indicated that they are going to come for g20 see we have to understand what india's position has been on this issue we have said that we stand for peace we stand for diplomacy and dialogue prime minister has emphasized uh, that this is not an era of war hmm. so i think and that aspect that has been included in the bali declaration of the g20 so uh, the g20 is already listening uh, to um, our um, uh, approach to this entire issue that you know that this is something that uh, is uh, is uh, in the interest of the global community uh, that we look at the g20 uh, from a perspective of a body that is able to provide solutions to global challenges of the day which are significant i mean we are uh, in a situation where 70 uh, developing countries have reached a level of indebtedness uh, growth is is slowing down to one digit figures uh, inflation is rampant currencies are falling uh, import bills of countries uh, for fuel uh, and food is is going up significantly so do we not need to look at these challenges and when you gather the leaders of some of some of the most influential countries in the world you need to really think and look and 
get more proactive solutions to these solutions problems. to global challenges yeah i mean those challenges across the board uh, but uh, largely those challenges are economic in nature okay and and of course uh, you know um, from that point of view i think uh, our presidency will come up uh, with uh, with options and with with proposals and initiatives uh, as uh, prime minister has said it will be an ambitious it will be a decisive it will be an action oriented but an inclusive summit तो मेरा दूसरा सवाल आपके एक पर्सनल उससे है आपका इतना लंबा करियर रहा पूरा आपके लाइफ में करियर डिप्लोमेटिक करियर में ऐसा कोई दिन आया ड्यूरिंग कोविड और सम चैलेंज विच यू सेट कि इट वाज दिस इज़ अ बिगेस्ट चैलेंज इन माय लाइफ और बड़ा नाइट काइंड ऑफ सिचुएशन थी आपने बाहर निकाला इफ़ यू वॉन्ट डिफाइंड एनी सच मोमेंट्स यू नो नहीं करियर में तो काफ़ी चुनौतियाँ होते हैं और जैसे जब मैं फॉरेन सेक्रेटरी था तो मैंने देखा और आपकी अभी हमारी बात हो रही थी जो चीन के साथ जो समस्या था हमारे आई हैव नेवर सीन यू सर नॉट स्माइलिंग एंड दैट वाज दैट वन एंड हाफ इयर्स आई सॉ यू नॉट स्माइलिंग एट ऑल वेल दैट आल्सो शो सीरियसनेस आर इंटेंट आई लाइक हर्ष सर तो बिल्कुल ही बहुत सीरियस है यू नो एवरी टाइम आई वुड लुक एट यू से अभी सॉल्यूशन नहीं हुआ ही इज नॉट ही स्टिल लुकिंग टेंस the well you know the idea is to find solutions to problems yeah. but uh, certainly the crisis on the lac was one of the one of the big challenges that we faced but we had afghanistan which was a huge challenge also yes. we had ukraine that? and uh, you know we had operation uh, the we you know operation ganga that uh, that uh, enabled us to bring back, bring back uh, 23000 of our students our young people from ukraine yeah it's going to be safely. the anniversary of that uh, one year anniversary that was a very critical period so at this point last year uh, you know we had daily meetings prime minister yeah. himself uh, you know uh, presided <coughs> over those meetings you briefed him and you it has a whole of government approach so everybody responsible was there i think that is the only way we managed to tackle uh, a problem of that crisis um so you had i mean you you had uh, every uh, you know other day was some crisis and some challenge lekin meri jankari ke hisab se ek samay aisa aaya tha ki hamare paas raw material nahi tha vaccines ke liye us pe aap logon ne kafi kuch pull pull out kiya tha uske bare mein batayenge kuch han to isme aisa tha ki jisko jahan pe resources the तो वो कंट्रीज उस रिसोर्सेज को रख रहे थे शेयर नहीं कर रहे थे क्योंकि कोविड के समय में सभी को अपने मतलब अपना अपने देशों का ख्याल के प्रायोरिटी था तो हमारी साइड से ये प्रयास था कि जो हमारे पार्टनर्स थे यूएस गवर्नमेंट प्राइमरीली बट यूरोपियन गवर्नमेंट्स आल्सो जहाँ पे ये कोविड मटीरियल्स थे उनका उनके साथ आउटरीच कैसे करना सेकेंडली जो कंपनीज थे जिनके साथ हमारे अच्छे संबंध थे तो उनको भी डायरेक्ट आउटरीच हमारी तरफ से नीति आयोग हमारे हेल्थ मिनिस्ट्री विदेश मंत्रालय सभी मिलकर उनके उनके साथ वीडियो कॉन्फ्रेंस करना ऑलमोस्ट ऑन डेली बेसिस तो ये इश्यूज़ हमारे लिए बहुत महत्वपूर्ण थे क्योंकि आपको याद है कि प्रोडक्शन ऑफ वैक्सीन्स को बढ़ाना ये हमारी सबसे बड़ा प्रायोरिटी था उस उस समय क्योंकि हमारे पॉपुलेशन हमारे जनसंख्या को वैक्सीनेट करना था और वैक्सीनेशन प्रोडक्शन सप्लाईज पे रिलायंट थे तो यू आर राइट दैट वॉज अ क्वाइट अ बिग क्राइसिस एट दैट टाइम और हमने जो भी हम कर सकते थे वी डिड नॉट लीव अ सिंगल स्टोन अनटर्न टू अचीव दोज ऑब्जेक्टिव एम्बसीज व फंक्शनिंग विद फुल कैपेसिटी अराउंड द क्लॉक एंड आई कैन टेल यू एफकोर्स आई वॉज फॉर्चुनेट आई नेवर गॉट कोविड यू आर इन वॉशिंगटन डी सी एट दैट टाइम नो आई वॉज इन डेली आई वॉज इन डेली दैट्स राइट या 
I never got but but more importantly I worked through each and every day there was not a single day every in the day worst lockdown that I did not work and everywhere around me people had got covid quite seriously yes south block had almost like emptied out at one point of time so yeah. sir what is the thing how you but whichever how officers you were escaped? able to work we yeah. we worked with them uh, we we uh, we did uh, you know work through video conferencing it was a very difficult period very stressful period of time because you know the pressures were high at uh, one time i do recall uh, the prime minister himself said he said do whatever you can uh, to make sure that we get the materials that we need for our country you know mm -hmm. to deal with this uh, covid uh, crisis i mean it had become uh, i would say uh, so uh, difficult that we needed to ensure that we sort of uh, accelerated our production whether it is medicines like remdesivir or whether it is uh, we got from the us uh, uh, cooperation when it was like not expected or people thought that there's no way that trump I is going to i think they sent something us. overnight uh, uh, no yeah. the us government uh, reacted uh, very positively uh, yeah. they understood uh, that uh, it was not only important but it is uh, you know important for the relationship important for very large uh, you know uh, section of uh, humanity to have the uh, ability to vaccinate but also the fact that we were using the vaccines for the rest of the world also mattered hmm. i mean after all indian made vaccines uh, were in, were sent to 150 countries across the world our covin platform through which we successfully uh, administered 2 billion vaccines was open source and we made it available to countries across the world and 142 countries participated participated in our global covin uh conference that we are right now in hindsight everybody is talking about how great it was but at that stage when we were in the second wave there was a lot of criticism domestically also that you haven't managed to vaccinate uh, our domestic population and you've started sending it out to other countries so how does the foreign policy establishment how does how does mea deal with uh, with that kind of criticism So of course um, you know um, it is a valid point that you uh, must make your vaccines available first to your own people that mm. is uh, certainly a priority mm. and i think we were fully cognizant of that mm. it was only after uh, checking with all concerned mm. uh, niti health ministry uh, you know uh, whichever organization was responsible dghs etc that we actually allowed the export of some items uh, mm. uh, vaccines to other countries especially our uh neighbors are partners are developing countries etc um you have to keep in mind that uh, in the beginning uh, the uh, system was not geared up to administering that level of vaccines you know it takes a bit of time to build up uh, the cold chain uh, you know the um, the institutions that would vaccinate uh, to get the uh, data for people uh, you know who would be vaccinated etc so that took a few months and that is when vaccine maitri actually took off from january to about april mm. and uh, and uh, that's the time that we exported a certain number of vaccines and then of course we stopped from about uh, you know april may onwards still uh, september october till we till we could vaccinate a good billion of our own people yeah and that was also another challenging aspect uh, i think uh, of your tenure uh, that you faced uh, another thing which i must uh, bring out is that you know this criticism uh, that is done of our foreign policy that it's increasingly linked with uh with politics of the country with domestic politics uh something that there was some kind of a firewall uh before 2014 but post 2014 uh it's become uh more inter interlinked with domestic politics how do you uh, see that 
Well, I mean, foreign policy has never been fully insulated from from domestic politics because you know when you deal with your neighbors, it always impacts on on our states, uh, you know, around. And for example, if you deal with Nepal, Bihar, and uh, UP are always impacted. You deal with Bangladesh, it is West Bengal, Meghalaya, Assam, Tripura. Um, you deal with Sri Lanka, it is Tamil Nadu, Kerala. So there is an impact uh, which which is there, and you know, uh, at the end of the day. Um, when you talk about uh, you know uh, cooperative federalism uh, you do involve the states and i think uh, the endeavor of uh, government of prime minister modi has been uh, you know to the largest extent possible to involve states in any endeavor hmm. that involves foreign policy the second thing we have tried to do in the uh, ministry of external affairs is, is to de- uh, demystify foreign policy Okay. Take it, and I think ANI has been an important part of that <laughs> effort. I mean, you know, uh, every decision that has been made or every step that we take in foreign policy is is articulated to uh, to uh, the grassroots level to say that this is what it is. I mean, G20 also. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we have through Jan Bagidari more taking it to uh, the grassroots level is an indication, as the Prime Minister says, is that we want to take diplomacy to the nation. that means you you want to make sure that everybody understands what is the rationale what is it all about what is it in for us and our country so that is very critical and that i think in in you know in my tenure as foreign secretary that has been a very important part of what i've tried to do with our external publicity division with all of our partners and stakeholders how do we try and take this across that means if you have uh, a press release is not just in english or hindi it is in all regional languages it is disseminated to regional media uh people uh, try and get it uh, you know wherever and if you say you do something with regard to uh, myanmar then we make sure that information is there in uh, manipur or mizoram okay. so that people who have a stake in that also understand what it's all about yeah so uh, we tried to take it uh, and this whole demystification bit and i used to always joke with the uh, ministry of external affairs especially the xp division uh, external publicity division in case people don't know what that means is that that is our interface for journalists that's where we get our information from the external publicity division so you know the the jsxp which is the joint secretary uh, in external affairs ministry or who deals with publicity he's our point person from whom we get information so you know it's it's always it's a hard hard task to get some information especially when it comes to india china matters and india pakistan matters as you know sir so we have to you know like you say oh, india and pakistan foreign ministers met and bilateral issues were discussed and uh, we, it was a free and frank डिस्कशन एंड सो हम लोग सब मजाक उड़ाते थे फ्री एंड फ्रैंक का मतलब है गाली गलोच हुई अगर इफ इफ इट इज दैट मैटर्स ऑफ म्यूचुअल इंटरेस्ट वर डिस्कस्ड दैट मीन्स इट वॉज अ जनरल समोसे चाय आ गई थी बातें ऐसी हुई थी सो आई यूज टू ऑलवेज से दैट एट सम पॉइंट ऑफ टाइम द मिनिस्ट्री ऑफ एक्सटर्नल अफेयर्स ब्रीफिंग्स शुड बी ओपन टू द जनरल पब्लिक बिकॉज दे विल टेक द बी एस लेवल आउट ऑफ दिस आउट ऑफ दिस यू नो नाइसिटीज विच फॉर्म योर uh your press releases and your explanations i hope g20 may you do this you speak to the people and answer it seedha well smita ji i think you've already done that <laughs> you have taken the bias out of uh, foreign policy and if you ask navin uh, you know whatever was uh, was uh, seemed to be um, you know uh, 
to lack uh, some detail in the briefing he would immediately get to me and say what's it all about <laughs> and we'll try and uh, we'll try and oh, put it in that's he was very open very open for questions you know all the okay. time accessible okay no but I, no, but the uh, but you're right i mean you know there's we, this fogging of yeah, issues we, we foreign policy to some extent calls it because it's not just you know we're dealing with other partners interlocutors and you know we have to make sure that uh, that uh, the wrong message doesn't go through in some ways right but at the same time i think it is absolutely essential that uh, you know we are able to put foreign policy uh, in terms that everybody can comprehend understand sure. and relate to i think that's very important what is the biggest challenge sir in this uh, in all these meetings which are being held i mean logistics of course is going to be difficult is it going to be airports is it going to be bandobast it's going to or it's going to be egos of uh, of the heads of government and heads of state who are coming well i mean you know um, as chief coordinator my job is to coordinate and i find that coordination is is quite a challenge because mm-hmm. you are dealing with multiple stakeholders you know from states uh, to districts to uh, different uh, entities uh, in our own government uh, you know range of organizations uh, and i think that it's very important to constantly look at how you can coordinate how you can resolve issues quickly hmm. simply and and with such certain level of expediency uh, in a practical way so um, as you do 200 meetings you know there are a lot of lessons learned and and best practices hmm. you apply them uh, you know the first sherpa meeting of udaipur has been a great success in the way that we have showcased uh, india and provided indian experiences i mean after all our effort has been to host an impeccable and uniquely indian g20 presidency so to that extent i think in in you know udaipur we have managed to to provide that uh, flavor uh, to the sherpas who have come in from all of these countries it was um, extremely ostentatious if i may say saw the visual yeah very very uh, it's you know like very larger than g20 now <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, the idea is that for example you go to whichever place you go to and as i mentioned right in the beginning manipur prime, nagaland prime also ministers, yeah uh, prime minister's uh, directive Have that you know every every state has its own uniqueness sure. its own characteristics yes. its own beauty etc so we are trying to bring that out okay so uh, you for example uh, if you go to um, kerala you will find uh, that uh, there are you know forms of uh, cultural practices there which uh, which would be in you know uh, or or uh, cuisine from kerala um next year is the international year of millets and india had a major role in, in that, getting yes. that put through because we have been using millets for uh, you know as part of our traditional cuisine for millennia whereas uh, today millets is is you know has become the new uh, i would say uh, uh, the ideal food it it provides nourishment it is got roughages it's it's uh, rich in protein uh, and and i think this is something that is making a comeback yeah mr devegowda will be very happy that ragi is uh, he's been talking about it since he was prime minister that about millets and now ultimately after 20 25 years i think it's it's uh, come to the fore uh, so i was asking about the egos also you know i've seen in international summits this is what happens our prime ministers entering block the airport uh this the main conference room should be for our president and you know who meets who the side bars which happen these are all also the the side show which people don't get to know about it tell us something about that how so difficult is it some of that will come in later as we get to the ministerial and to the uh, top level and i think uh, it's important for us as the host when it comes to foreign governments to make sure that sensitivities are taken taken into account 
I mean, you know, every country has, uh, every country will make demands. You know, we want this hotel. Someone will say, we want that access. Yeah. We want to be the first year. We want to be speaking here. Now, uh, you obviously can't accommodate everyone all the time. But what you need to do is to try and, you know, make as many delegations as comfortable as possible. Take their sensitivities into account. And I think we will constantly work. And uh, what about food, sir? Are these food things very important? Like, pork nahi hona chahiye, beef nahi hona chahiye, vegetarian pe zyada dhyan de diya, aise cheeze hoti hai? So, in any international event, that is important. But okay. what we are saying, you, 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 when you come to India, you enjoy our cuisine. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you go to Gujarat, you will get a Gujarati thali. So you'll be showcasing food a lot? From, yes, uh, that is one of our endeavors, like okay. culture. Uh, like uh, places of, uh, you know, interest, uh, excursions, uh, you know, whether you go to the Kumbhalgarh Fort or you go to Ajanta and Elora, we take them to iconic places. Hmm. But we also give them cuisine which is uniquely Indian, I mean, uh, of that region. So when they had makiki roti in Udaipur, uh, many delegates loved it. I hope they never find chicken tikka masala anywhere in India. <laughs> Just so that they know that it's a British thing and it's not Indian. <laughs> that Sir, you do not have that. People have a lot of interest in knowing that Jammu Kashmir and Ladakh have some meetings planned in Ladakh. No, there are meetings in many places. I can't tell you exactly the exact calendar. But meetings, I can give this advice that meetings... हमारे सारे देश में मीटिंग्स होंगे एंड ऐसे कोई जगह नहीं होगी मतलब जहां पे मीटिंग्स होना चाहिए था और मीटिंग्स हुई नहीं सो नाउ आई वांट टू गेट अ लिटिल बिट अबाउट यू एज अ पर्सन टेल मी व्हाई डिड यू चूज टू जॉइन द फॉरेन सर्विस द रीजन आई एम आस्किंग इज देयर आर मेनी यंगस्टर्स हु लिसन इनटू दिस पॉडकास्ट हु वॉच इट ऑन YouTube व्हेन दे टेक द सिविल सर्विसेज एग्जाम व्हाट इज इट दैट लाइक व्हाट मोटिवेटेड यू टू पिक फॉरेन सर्विस Well, uh, you know, at that time, of course, motivations were uh, what your, um, you know, your elders tell you, what your peer groups tell you. My father always had an interest in the foreign service. He encouraged me to join the foreign your service. Your father was in... Uh, My father was government. in government himself. Um, and I think it was always his uh, secret ambition. Which part of India, sir? Um, uh, I'm from Darjeeling in West Bengal. Mm. But uh, he... Uh, possibly always had an interest himself in the foreign service so inculcated in me in me that uh, interest and uh, so it was there with me quite early but what i can say is that uh, there is no uh, better uh, satisfaction than to represent your country and by represent i don't mean represent at uh, senior levels you represent even if you go for a very small meeting which has representative of other countries you still represent your country so um that opportunity is a unique one and as i said uh, some time back i said you know uh, 10 15 years ago to what it is now and what people will see as you go into amritkal and we we come closer to our 100th anniversary i think there'll be a paradigm shift in the way uh, indian india is regarded and uh, representatives of india are regarded so you will really see uh, an ability uh, to serve at the high table okay. uh, to serve uh, with the most uh, intentional groups and most important of all to make an impact hmm. uh, globally in which your voice is heard and what you have to say matters your aunt was also foreign secretary uh, chokila ayer uh, you also became the foreign secretary i'm sure when you sit across the table you talk about what it is like to represent india what was it like for her and uh, when she was foreign secretary and for you was there any change in india in representing india Yeah I think uh, it was a different uh, time because she was foreign secretary at the turn of the century that means around 2001 hmm. 
mm. in that period of time and uh, we were already coming we were already sort of uh, becoming uh, you know a country that people looked at but uh, but i think uh, what it was in then and what it is today um, is is absolutely no comparison and uh, if you remember um you know um even in our relationship with the us uh, you know you were equated at a certain level yeah and today those equations are completely different and and our ability to to engage countries uh, is completely different so for anybody who's uh, you know uh, an aspirant for the upsc exam thinking of what he should do i think the foreign service is a great career it's absolutely one of the best most satisfying careers that anyone can have uh and i think not only because of course uh you know you um experience uh, different uh, parts of the world but you you also take to them your own country but most important of all as i said our own country is changing so quickly and is becoming uh such uh you know uh, an important uh, player in global in the global decision making process that i think the opportunities for our younger generations and women i'm seeing more and more participation more and more women joining your service so 40% of every foreign service batch consists of women now uh, they are smart they are articulate uh, they made us all very proud and when we talk about women led development these are the people who are going to lead hmm. development uh, in our country a, a major problem i think also with the foreign service is that uh, if the couple uh, gets you know like if the the man and the woman both are in the foreign service you don't get posted in the same place these are the pitfalls uh, of your service that you know you don't get posted in the same city so the, a large portion of the married life is your separate this is one aspect the second is that the children every 3 years you get posted out then it you know the children have this problem of getting admission into schools that that is also one of the issues so what we try and do is to post uh, couples together for as long as we can until they become you know to senior head of post or head of mission in such mm. a case obviously you can't have two ambassadors in the same country so they have to be separate but sometimes they're in neighboring countries uh, um the ministry i think has a you know takes a fairly um, positive view of people who are in mm. such situations and tries to accommodate them to the extent that they can uh, as far as children is concerned yes they do need to move and it's a very itinerant uh, way of life um in our own case we've tried to ensure that our um, you know son has been in mm. uh, in india in the seminal periods of his, edu- his education so in the 4 5 years when it mattered most uh you know right from class 8 to class 12 was uh, class 11 we tried to make sure that he was he was here in india yeah because that then he can identify he's got friends from school here he's got he knows yeah. the place is uh so it's important to also plan and you can plan i mean nothing prevents you from staying in india for as long as you want right um, and i'm seeing uh, noticing that when foreign service officers this is almost like 7 8 years i think that you know uh, they call in the ambassadors they call in the high commissioners back to india once a year and then you need to travel in the country and see it's not just that one bharat darshan but you need to travel more and more in the country to know your country better now yeah so it's very important to have your uh, you know your basic fundamentals correct in other words you you have to know your country very well mm. to represent your country not superficially not through reading but actually to through traveling to parts of your country so we have a heads of missions conference every year we just had one uh the ambassadors uh, really go back to their home states visit their home states uh, go down to the grassroots level developmental level meet the chief minister chief secretary everybody get a very good grasp of what it is all about 
and uh, and they also have bharat darshan every person who becomes is, is appointed ambassador gets an opportunity to do his bharat darshan he goes to those states that he wants to i remember when i was posted to thailand as a master i did the bharat darshan in the northeast you know starting with assam mm. uh, ending in uh, ending in andamans because these are the places that that were linked to thailand i mean if you stood in in, in port blair you can 400 see. kilometers away yes. is uh, is phuket in in thailand Yes. and that's where they have uh, you know an interest because of materials and uh, goods coming in etc at, at so essentially um you choose uh, states mm. that you want to and you go to places that uh, you know that have uh, some relevance to what you're doing but also to enable you to understand uh, you know very clearly what are the current you know our country is also changing very quickly development is very fast every every other day there is some new initiative there's some new policy you need to see it on the ground you need to actually visit it so even when i was foreign secretary i tried to travel within the country as well okay i went to several places uh, i went to amritsar you i went to you are very extremely popular in west bengal also <laughs> <laughs> but that's my home state yeah, so yeah, yeah. i yeah. i you know uh, i think you I share a good relation with the chief minister there also well i mean you know uh, yeah, that, that's another question i wanted to ask about states. you know yeah interacting with uh, with states uh, with different uh, chief ministers of states how does uh, how do foreign service officers uh, meet up with uh, with different states if suppose this uh, state government is an opposition state government is there the same level of interaction as say the ruling party see i mean it's it's uh, as far as you're concerned uh, you represent india Mm. and the chief minister of any state uh, is is a chief minister of uh, you know a state of your country so when they relate to you and they come abroad um you uh, you make sure that you know they have the best opportunities to meet uh, the sort of people they want to meet whether it's investors whether it's people who have, have an economic <coughs> interests the diaspora and so on and so forth so uh, i think uh, foreign service officers have a lot of possibilities because chief ministers today under a cooperative federalism program and you can also call it competitive federalism because yeah. you need to compete for investments for trade etc so chief ministers are increasingly going out and and uh, looking at opportunities that they can bring back to their states and you can play a role and of course we have uh, heads of our branch secretaries our rpos who are posted in these places they also interact you mentioned west bengal i think as when i was in bangladesh obviously you need to work closely with the chief ministers of states around you west bengal of course was was most prominent but i met all the chief ministers sam mizoram uh, meghalaya you know uh, all chief ministers that had a uh, man, you know border with uh, uh, bangladesh and had something to do uh, so everywhere wherever you're posted there is a certain uh, you know link with uh, states and with the cms there even as part of the g20 initiatives and i have visited look east or act east policy that's a major thing that uh, for so yes neighborhood first Marshall. act east, uh, act east. These, these and the indo pacific these are major planks of our policy uh, the other day i did go out to guwahati and i i spoke about you know the linkage between our act east policy in the northeast so mm-hmm. it is not in isolation when you talk about act east and what are the benefits that that our country can get what are the benefits that parts of our country can get and uh, for the northeast which has this issue of being somewhat you know cut uh, off from the mainland, from yeah. the mainland uh, you know what are the benefits of using you know uh, being a link between the mainland and these countries etc so this this is important to people so yeah relating to states i think is very critical in foreign policy and the more you can do it today the better off better yeah. your purpose is served so i have one related question when it comes to foreign policy or security matters or national security we have seen in mature democracies and western democracies 
there is a bipartisan approach you know um, like they are all on same page when it comes to these issues but here we have seen some differences you know like even your g20 is in a way politicized they said that we are making a big deal out of it it is just uh, opposition has said this that is just a rotation of our presidency why are we making it such a big event so how do you look at it do you think there is still a long way to travel when it comes to bipartisan you know approach or all all will be on same page on the foreign policy and the defense matters well it's i think uh, when it comes to domestic issues uh, you know you will obviously have differences and uh, in any democracy you should have when it comes to foreign policy there should be uh, as much of uh, convergence as you can because then you are speaking with one voice you are united you are able to project your views you have to support the government of the day and support those initiatives that are there and understand where they are coming from uh, and as part of the ministry of external affairs we have had many outreach you know we've got the parliamentary committee on external affairs we have the consultative committee which the external affairs minister heads those are constantly meeting and those are constant i mean i think that is the link between the ministry i mean other than the you know the the statements that are made in parliament the parliament questions etc but these committees also provide uh, a very useful interface so whether it is the you know our approach to the neighborhood act east policy neighborhood first policy uh, you know the ukraine conflict uh, evacuation of our citizens from ukraine all of this is discussed in great length presentations are made but at the end of the day uh, if there are differences uh, those can um, you know be exploited uh, hmm. Uh, by those that who have don't have our best interests in mind and also sir prime minister modi as you said that has been working very closely whether it is operation you know vande bharat or vaccine how close is this g20 project to his heart and how much is he coordinating with you on this <laughs> no i think if there's any um, indication of the importance that the prime minister attaches to the g20 issue you can see that he has taken at least uh, four or five meetings exclusively on the g20 issue in the recent weeks right from the launch of the logo website and theme of the g20 um to uh, the um, you know uh, briefing to the council of ministers and all secretaries to government of india uh, to a meeting the all party meeting that was convened on the g20 to a meeting of the chief ministers and governors of states on G20 these all exclusively G20 meetings uh, he has made it a point to um, emphasize to the country through all of the uh, different interactions not only the importance of india's G20 presidency but what is our message and again what is it what is it in for the uh, you know for our for every citizen of india hmm. so this jan bhagidari thing has been an important aspect of that how to convey the message across and how to make everybody stakeholders and partners in that exercise it is not a remote exercise out of delhi not it is not that of the central government it is not just a whole of government approach it's a whole of nation approach in dealing with the g20 so it is uh, a unique opportunity think of it we have never hosted an international event of this magnitude and significance uh, today we are on the global high table uh, we are seen as a, a rare uh i would say um you know ray of hope in in what is otherwise uh, a scene of despondency and gloom in the international uh, arena we have the opportunities to impact significantly on the global narrative uh, but at the same time we can use g20 to showcase and highlight our own country's achievements developments tourism potential cultural heritage prime minister told james uh, he said you know over the last next one year we will have about a lakh a foreign um you know participants and delegates coming into india 
many of them will come into your states all over india so let's make the best of this opportunity they they will showcase india for us yeah wherever they go there'll be the spotlight uh there'll be media spotlight there'll be spotlight from their countries they will go and talk about it there'll be a resonance how can we make the best of it how yeah. can we involve our youth our younger people our university students are you know people who have been um, trained in international relations in foreign languages who have an interest in this how can they be part of the process when I mean, we generate and mobilize their even training of taxi drivers it's beginning from that uh, as Absolutely. well i mean i found that quite unique that is going down to the grassroots yeah level. that you know they are the first uh, interface right as soon as you get out of the airport it's the taxi driver so he or she is the person who gives the first impression right this reminds me of china hosting olympics they trained all their taxi drivers in beijing to speak english although it has not so worked so our ministry of tourism <laughs> is doing this training in soft skills with tour guides taxi drivers all who come into contact with our with delegates the police uh, bureau of police research and development is doing a training of uh, police personnel in all the states mm. which will be involved with g20 um uh, the mea has trained a thousand um, you know liaison officers in 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 the line ministries we'll do that with the states also so a uh, training of people and mobilizing people including volunteers is an important part of that exercise and and that i think is is a great way of sir uh, mentioned a lot about the neighborhood policy sir but uh, very frankly speaking we are going to come two, to pakistan two, two i can of, almost sense yeah, it yeah, i hope yeah, you yeah. can actually uh, we have still no normal relationships with pakistan especially and also china to that matter for obvious reasons but uh, do you think that there is any ray of hope of normalization of relations between india and pakistan in near future and how do you look at the uh, bilateral relationship overall so i think uh, let me as someone who's worked in the neighborhood for the you know for a good part of my career um i think uh, the neighborhood first policy has been one of our stellar successes prime minister modi has laid a lot of emphasis on development relations with our neighborhood uh, our um, investments in our neighborhood so lines of credit uh, grants in aid uh, focus on connectivity on building infrastructure has yielded tremendous uh, results um our own uh, lines of credit uh, to the neighborhood of increased from about 3 billion in 2014 to 15 billion in 2022 so we have invested a lot in neighborhood connectivity and development and we talked about sabka saath sabka vikas sabka vishwas and sabka prayas we are talking about the neighborhood also because unless you bring them into your sphere of uh, development growth and prosperity uh, you can never hope to do that in isolation i mean your neighbors need to be part of that and so i think uh, whether it is on the security side and the strategic side whether it is on the economic side and connectivity side uh, whether it is on the people to people side uh, we have achieved uh, tremendously whether it's relations with uh, nepal bhutan bangladesh sri lanka maldives mauritius we've done afghanistan of course uh, you know has been a setback but that is the geopolitical level and even there i think we are managing it very well um uh, pakistan is a different paradigm there's no saath oh, sabka saath sabka vishwas uh, you know no prayas also when it comes to pakistan yeah so obviously it is a different case and until and unless uh look, look every time we've taken an initiative to improve relations with pakistan and prime minister modi has done his best he has gone to lahore himself he has uh, reached out he has done whatever it takes but it in response you've had 
uh, terrorist attacks that have had uh, a tremendous impact, uh, you know, a negative impact. So um, there is clearly a linkage between development of relations and the sort of reaction that you can have from from various quarters of that country. So uh, the the point that has been made is that uh, a terrorism does not pay, and b you cannot have uh, a normal relationship with a country like Pakistan unless there is an impensable decision to uh, to not uh, support uh, terrorism. No terror in talks yeah. together. So uh, that, that factor is line. there, and you know I think um, um, it is to the credit of this government that this uh, this policy has been reinforced, and that we've not had any issues, uh, you know, yeah. with that country lately. Yeah. Um, um, we have tried to extend the same paradigm that we have had with other countries to Pakistan, including in the power sector, as you would recall. Uh, trade uh, power. I mean, I think both countries could benefit in those areas, but mm-hmm. response hasn't been uh, hasn't been uh, what it should have been. And I think uh, there are clearly uh, you know vested interests that are opposed to any uh, mm. forward movement in that relationship. And I think it is important for us to protect our in- own interests, ensure that our uh, our uh, you know safety and security of our citizens is is kept paramount. And and I think um, to that extent we will uh, you know uh, have to continue unless there is a there is some uh, very serious uh, this. yeah change in that attitude. Sir, vis a vis the invitations to uh, the special invitees in the G20, you have reached out to I think Bangladesh and many other African countries and other in Gulf. Then why I think uh, Pakistan is missed out, and do you think that uh, there is any initiative to bring bring them also in? Do you think we should have brought them in? <laughs> I think let, I, let put it this way: uh, every presidency can invite a few countries. There are a limited number of countries you can invite. Uh, from our immediate neighbor, from our neighborhood, we have invited uh, Bangladesh and Mauritius, two countries. We have invited from the Gulf region, UAE and Oman. From Africa, we have invited the largest representation ever. So we've got the we've got South Africa, who's already a member of G20. We've got the African Union. We've got NAPAD, which is Rwanda. We've also invited Nigeria, and we've invited Egypt. So for the first time in a G20, we'll have six African uh, states represented. Uh, this is uh, unprecedented. It also shows the priority we give to the developing world. Um, and and so uh, you know, every country has a certain priority which you have to follow. I mean. Uh, in BRICS, we invited all of our uh, uh, BIMSTEC uh, countries to participate. Um, after all, you have to keep in mind that when Prime Minister was elected in 2014, he invited all the South countries. In 2019, he invited all BIMSTEC countries. So inclusivity in our neighborhood is part of our approach. But obviously, there are uh, limits and there are... But you know, when Pakistan doesn't get invited, then they get they are the nasty... A relative who's not invited to a wedding, then they will try to sabotage. Yeah, but again, we've you know because of the limitations of the number of countries, we've only been invited able to invite two neighbors. So there is a, it's not that we invited every all countries and we. There is a guest limit. Mm-hmm. To this. Exactly. No. Okay. On that note, sir, thank you very much uh, for speaking with us and wish you all the success for the summit. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks. Appreciate that. Thank, thank you, you um, for having me on the show. Thank you.
Thank you for watching or listening in to this edition of ANI podcast with Smita Prakash. Do like or subscribe on whichever channel you have seen this or heard this. But before going today, let me also thank you for all the feedback that you've been giving us. We will try and create content as per what you want us to do and the guests that you want on this show. Namaste, Jai Hind.